It's that sober guy podcast, and we're talking to Mike Catherwood, and we're in a garage somewhere talking about drugs and recovery and alcohol. We're not going to make any dick jokes or talk about penises, and I'm not sure if that's good, but Mike can tell me if that is okay. Yeah, man, that's hard without the music. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Honestly, because it's way hard without the music, and you nailed it. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, where we talk about drugs, alcohol, recovery, and more. We also like to think we help some people stay sober. Um, today we're talking with Mike Catherwood, and uh, Mike's also known as Psycho Mike, and uh, has worked at K-Rock on the Kevin and Bean Show, and also was the co-host of Love Line with Dr. Drew from 2010 to 2016. Uh, Mike's a regular, a regular contributor on the Jason Ellis Show, and he also hosts his own podcast called Swole Patrol with Dr. Drew, uh, which is a comprehensive and unflinching look at the world of health and fitness, and uh, it's also one of my favorite new podcasts, and I highly recommend checking it out, some fun stuff on there. Uh, most importantly, Mike has over 15 years in recovery from addiction, and uh, we're going to get into all that good stuff today. And uh, before we get to Mike, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can also connect with us on Instagram, at realthatsoberguy, and on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. Uh, now, finding the right treatment for addiction and mental health illness, it can be tough. Uh, that's why Sober Guy, we've continued to partner with Foundations Recovery Network, uh, foundation stays true to their mission and holds high ethical standards while providing treatment in their nationwide network of residential and outpatient programs. Uh, they have individualized treatment plans and they're focused on creating a lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. And uh, they've built the leading research and outcomes program to study and improve how we're fulfilling this commitment for each patient, their loved ones, and their families. Uh, they're great people. We've been doing uh, foundations conferences and working with foundations uh, for just over three years now, and uh, we really have a great relationship with them. They're, they're really good people, and they really do care. So if you uh, need help, uh, you can go to foundationshelp.com slash soberguy, or you can call 833-81-SOBER. Uh, that's 833-81-SOBER, and you can talk with an admissions coordinator about treatment options. Um, as this goes live, we got a live show coming up at the Hollywood Improv. It's January 20th. That's this Sunday. Uh, we're super pumped about that. We have uh, Darren Prince there, John Henson. Uh, we have some more guests. Mark Saratella is going to do a little bit of stand-up, and we're going to talk about recovery. We're going to have a good time doing it, and we're going to have some fun. So if you want some tickets to that, you can go to thatsoberguy.com slash live shows, or you can also go straight to the improv site. That's improv.com slash Hollywood and get your tickets there. All right, Mike Catherwood, man, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today, my friend. Uh, and uh, I know you've had a long day, and so uh, you're, you're back on some podcast action, man. I appreciate it, man. It's, it's my pleasure, man. Um, so how long have you been sober? Let's start there. Uh, it'll be 17 years in October. Dang, man, that's crazy. Um, 17 years. And, I, you know, one of the things that, that kind of drew me to is I kind of looked uh, and listened to the podcast and, and kind of did – little uh, little pre-production work and looking at some old videos and old podcasts and radio stuff is when we talk about recovery, when we talk about addiction, um, it's obviously a very serious uh, topic. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, 
it's torn a lot of families apart. It's a huge epidemic right now in the country. At the same time, I feel like we have to be able to find some some comedy in that and some fun in that at the same time in order to talk about it. And um, I really like that about you. You're able to talk openly about it. You're able to be candid about it. You're not scared to show your emotions behind it. But at the same time, you can crack uh, a joke here and there too. Uh, so I really appreciate that, man. Is that, is that something that, um, do you think about that or is that just who you are or what's your take on that? And I mean, I haven't put much thought into it, but I definitely think that it's just naturally part of who I am. I mean, to be honest, it's a, it comes from insecurity. That that was always like a defense mechanism is that, you know, in an uncomfortable situation, whenever things got awkward, I, there was always that kind of go-to. And even even in a way, you know, you said that I was, I was capable of opening up and, and showing my emotions and, and, and to an extent that that's, that's true. But also uh, I think that a lot of times I hide behind that, that the kind of veneer of comedy um, because it just, it makes things so much more easy to deal with. I think for everybody involved um, yeah. to an extent, obviously you don't want to be tasteless in, in a, you know, yeah. dealing with something serious. You don't want to make, you know, uh, insulting comedy uh, in, in, when dealing with something serious. But um, I always think back to the, uh, you know, I'm from LA here and back when the Rams were in, first from LA, they had a, a season where they lost every game and they were talking to uh, the coach at uh, the end of uh, the end of the final game. And they had, they had literally lost every single game. And he said that all we can do in the locker room is laugh. Because if we try to deal with this head on and just take it at face value without giving any comedy to this, it's going to, it's far too heartbreaking. Yeah. So there's no yeah. upside, you know, so we had to, you had to kind of poke holes in it and, and just laugh at yourself because um, I think recovery is something to take very, very seriously, but through the process, you're making a big mistake if you take yourself too seriously because yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of addicts and alcoholics and tell me if you agree, we suffer from that in, during the time of our use and abuse, we were taking ourselves far too seriously. And then you get into recovery in that initial, that pink cloud at the beginning, you feel so special. You feel like you're the only one who's doing this. And it's such an amazing, tremendous achievement that only you are doing. And, um, it's important to kind of humble yourself and and the healthiest way to do that i think is with comedy yeah it's it's funny you say that man like about t- so there's two things one of my favorite things i've heard and i was actually just talking with with somebody uh, about this earlier rule 62 don't take yourself so damn serious and right. when i first heard that i was like man that's yeah that kind of rings true to me because i was the same way like everything i did i can remember even back being a kid like everything i did I took it really serious and I was really, really hard on myself if I didn't um, live up to whatever that expectation was, whether it was that my dad set for me or that I set for myself or whatever. And I really became like a professional of kicking my own ass almost, you know, and being really, really hard on myself. And, and uh, it's been great. Like since, since I got sober and started working a program, I, you know, learned about myself and I start um, you know, I've continued to work on that. I can take things a little bit lighter now and not be, um, so uptight all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially because 
the reality is, is like I said, even though you don't take, you don't want to take yourself too seriously, you got to take recovery seriously because it's going to, yeah. it's going to kick your ass uh, periodically. And, um, if you're, if you're so rigid about things, if you're so unbelievably uptight, um, that's when you set yourself up for tailspins, you yeah. know, you got to just recognize that, um, you, you're, you know, you're one of 6 billion, you know, you're, we're not <laughs> yeah. these special snowflakes uh, yeah. and, and everybody has problems and you just deal with them as they come. And, and it's, it's a great way, I think, to keep things in perspective, if you can kind of just laugh at yourself a little bit. Yeah. My, my buddy, Chris, he goes, you're unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We're all unique, but we're all <laughs> unique people. Yeah. Um, so if we, if we back up 17, 18, 19 years, I mean, um, explain to us a little bit about what that addiction looked like for you. Like what was, what was a, an average day in the, in the last year leading up to, uh, to when you got sober? The last year was, I mean, it got particularly dark. I mean, I think like with everyone, it's, it doesn't, there, there's not like this, this graph where things go up and down and up and it, it's yeah. a progression of just getting darker and darker and darker. Yeah. And towards the end, it was, uh, it was very dark. I had, um, I grew up here in Los Angeles and I moved to the East coast and, um, I had quickly befriended, um, another cocaine addict who was this wealthy guy. He was, uh, much older than me. Uh, you know, I, at the time, especially I was only, 19, 20 years old. Um, and he just loved to get high and do nothing. And I adopted that lifestyle and it was great. And he, I, I was broke. I had nothing going for me, but he was willing to supply this endless stream of drugs. And when I started smoking, I, I loved to smoke, uh, meth and, and Coke. I loved it. I loved crack cocaine and methamphetamine, but I started smoking speed balls and mixing heroin in with that. And it, things just started rapidly getting worse. I mean, I was going to the hospital so many times. I, I, it wasn't even special or unique anymore. I, I just yeah. completely lost count of how many times I had to be rushed to the hospital. Um, I was, uh, in trouble with the law constantly. I was crashing cars that I rented that I had no money to pay for. Um, okay. so it was, um, I truly had hit a rock bottom, but there was a, I didn't personally recognize it as a rock bottom. I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't my, I didn't come to the realization that I needed to get help. I had just completely lost everything in my life. I'd been alienated by my family, my friends. Um, like I said, in trouble with the law. Um, but I, I didn't kind of come to grips with the fact that I needed to do something about it until about, um, six months to a year later after, after living in the East coast, I moved back to LA because like I said, I had nothing going for me. I had no money yeah. and no, no job and no anything. So I moved back kind of with hat in hand and begged my parents to, to, to help me out. And, uh, they did under this, uh, under the conditions that I would seek recovery. Um, yeah. and I did, but like many people listening know, when someone forces your hand, it never works out because I hadn't yeah. personally made the decision to help myself. Uh, so I went back to using almost immediately after leaving a 28 day program. Um, and, um, about, I don't know, 40 days to 60 days after I had, re re uh, left that program, I was in a hotel room 
in a particularly bad neighborhood here in Los Angeles. I was all by myself in the middle of the day and I was uh, smoking rocks, trying to doing what I always did. And for no reason whatsoever, I, I can't in any, I can't describe it in any other way that I just, something else took hold of me. Um, I looked in the mirror and I just decided to walk over to the phone and at, at those days use the yellow pages. I couldn't just Google search <laughs> yeah. and I found a recovery center and, and I called them and asked if they had a bed and that was the last time I used drugs and alcohol. That's crazy, man. So, so you, uh, I mean, it sounds like you had this spiritual awakening, um, in, in that moment of, uh, of getting high. It's like just something, right. something hit you and just said, man, like this, it didn't feel right. And boom, then you're off. Um, and you haven't touched it. That was the, that was the last, that yeah. was the last time. And, and it was something, it was almost subconscious. I, I didn't, yeah. like I said, I didn't have any conscious mind to make that decision. I, I wasn't yeah. in any way particularly uh, aware of how bad things have gotten. Something uh, beyond me, um, you know, I hate to sound too cheesy and, and, and uh, you know, get into this kind of supernatural or spiritual realm where people start to get, you know, roll their eyes. But it was something that I, that took control of me. I didn't really have control over it. I, yeah. I don't, I can't explain it to this day. And the weird thing is, is that when I, when I have memories of it, I never ever can remember it through my own eyes. I only see it as if it's like, I'm looking down on myself with a closed yeah. caption, uh, so closed circuit camera. You know, it's yeah. as, uh, like, I was looking down on myself. I can't remember it through my own eyes, like, a, like you would a, a childhood memory or something. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, hopefully by the grace of God, that'll be, that'll be the last time I ever use drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I, I noticed that too. Like, cause I know what you're saying, like that cliche thing, kind of like, you know, this, the spiritual side of it, you know, for me, it's God, like, um, you know, and God, God saved me, mm -hmm. no, no doubt. Um, and I feel at the same time, like that, there's such a powerful force behind that, that maybe that's kind of the explanation of faith because I just don't really understand it either. <laughs> right. It, it's the same thing. When I think about like, you know, the day before I went to rehab, I, I have that same vision. I never really actually thought about it like that. So you put it like that. It's like me up above watching what I was doing um, in that moment. You know, that's really the only memory that I have. It's, it's, it's a trip. Um, so, so you get sober or you, you go back, you get some help, you get sober. One of the other things that I, that I, I really uh, admire about you, man, is that, you know, you get sober, like you already mentioned, you, you, you didn't have anything. You had nothing at this point. Right. And a lot of people that struggle with addiction were artists, man. We have a lot to offer society. We have personalities. We have certain skills that, um, that really contribute to, uh, to serving others and creating, you know, cool things. And you've kind of been on this path since then of just what seems like to me, and, I, and obviously I, I would hope, or I want you to explain this in, in your own words, but um, you're, you're kind of like doing the next right thing and you start out as a board operator on K-Rock and like, boom, like these things just start lining up and, and, and doors start opening and, you know, you're kind of going down that path. And, and uh, I just was hoping maybe you can touch on that, like positivity and trying to do the next right thing and, and just sit back and watch what happens. Yeah. I, I mean, I thank you for saying that. I mean, it did work out in such a serendipitous way. I, I, I fell into the radio industry. I wanted to yeah. be a rock star and I got a job 
at a radio station at, at the absolute lowest entry level job you could. I, I got a job there as a side gig, you know, to pay the bills when I went out as I went out on this venture to try to become the next Dave Grohl or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, as I was there, you know, I, I started prank calling the morning show and, and stealing <laughs> microphones and going and doing man on the street interviews and things like that. And in a way it was like a lot of the naivete of being so young. I didn't realize how wacky yeah. a lot of this stuff was because I was young and I didn't care. Yeah. You're having um, fun slinging hot Cheetos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was dying. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it just, it kind of just snowballed. Um, and, a lot of it had to do with, for the first time in my life, I felt so good about being responsible. Yeah. I mean, I really felt good. I was a terrible student. I was a, you know, like we've already discussed, I was a desperate drug addict. And I, I you know, I was, a, I, was an all, I was an athlete in high school and stuff, but I wasn't by any means like a, someone who flirted with the idea of being a college athlete or, or a pro. I mean, I was just, I was always very ordinary and I never was really good at anything. Hmm. Um, so it felt so good to have people, even, even at that entry level, it just felt so good to have people say, Oh, you're doing a really good job and know that I was working hard for something and showing up and I was accountable and, and all these things that a lot of people discover when they're much younger, yeah. but I, I had kind of delayed the process because of, of my addiction and, and it, and it was something new to me. It was something new to me being honest and accountable and responsible yeah. Um, and it felt so good. It just fueled me and, and, and it just made me want to do more and more and more. Um, so if we, if we kind of transition into, uh, well, well, shoot, I mean, you, you did, you did K rock that ran into uh love line, right? It was love line next. Um, and I thought love line was cool. It seemed like for, for your role in love line where, you know, you got to have fun, but you also got to represent, you know, for, from an addict's point of view and talk about that. Like, did you enjoy that, that gig on there? I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved every second of it. I mean, the idea of, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, silly, entertaining kind of sex calls, you know, from high school kids, which is great. It was fun and, and, it, and yeah. it made for great radio. Yeah. But there was always that one call every night, right? I knew I was talking to a 17 year old me yeah. and I knew, and, and, maybe it didn't have any effect but maybe i always had that in the in the back of my mind that I, potentially even if it was just one kid that could hear someone speak to them and it wasn't just another adult kind of talking down to them and it was like you know where you roll your eyes every kid deals with the the adult saying if i knew if i knew then what i knew now i wouldn't be doing what you're doing but i i felt like there was always those opportunities to really get through to someone and say like, I totally understand what you're going through and I totally understand why you want to do the things you're doing. Yeah. I'm just letting you know, like you really, really can throw your life away. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, there, there was that, that feeling because look, when you're in, in radio in morning radio, especially, but you know, with Loveline, yes, it's an advice show. And yes, I was sitting next to a physician and who's one of the most, probably one of the most, well-regarded authorities on addiction medicine, you know, in Dr. Yeah. Drew, but it's still, it's entertainment at the end of that. The whole point of that show is to get ratings and, and it's entertainment like anything. So a lot of times when you are in the entertainment industry, you get, you get aware, you become aware of the fact that what you do is superficial. 
Hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not fighting for our freedom. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not, you're, you're telling jokes and fooling around and getting paid for it. And so to be able to inject every once in a while to inject something that really did make a difference and matter. It was, uh, it was, it was awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I think that's a good point too. Um, you know, I try to always keep that in mind. Uh, I like, I I love our veterans. Like we have a, we have a course that we do. That's like a, a, a early sobriety course. And, um, you know, it's, it always, I always give it out to all veterans, like whoever wants it, you know, like, here you go. Cause I mean that, like what we do, like I'll bitch and complain about a day one day. Oh, I had this day. I had that day. Like at the end of the day, my day is pretty damn good. Like no matter what, you know, and it's always important for me to keep that in perspective, um, you know, as much as I can, hopefully every day, but you know, we all have our days. Um, so if we kind of talk about, if we talk about today, um, you know, cause, cause kind of what you're referring to there with, with the love line and, and maybe the 17 year old, you're getting to speak to someone is, is really service work and giving back. And that's a lot, you know, a big part of recovery. Um, what do you, what do you do today? Like what, do, I know you work out a lot. I know you're, um, you know, obviously Swole patrol, you guys talk about that a lot. Um, you know, and you get into the health and fitness and, um, how much of that is a part of your recovery and staying sober and just trying to be a healthy man, like to provide for, you know, your, uh, your kids or your wife and, uh, and, and just be a good person all around, but stay healthy and fit. Yeah. I, I, it's a big part because I mean, I, I definitely look at the human as a, as a comprehensive unit and you can't be mentally healthy, spiritually healthy without being physically healthy and, and yeah all three of them kind of come together. And if anything, you know, I, I definitely get, I get more complacent and lethargic with the mental aspect of it. Yeah. Because you know, I'm constantly pushing that physical, um, but they, they lead into each other. They, they really do. I mean, and if you, if you get good night's sleep and you, and you exercise and you eat right, it has a, ne- a, a huge effect on your mental health and, you know, for me, it was always just kind of a, a vital aspect of, of being a healthy person. And I, you know, I wanted to, I really wanted it. Um, it didn't, it didn't just, it wasn't just something that I kind of passively thought about. I, I want to be healthy. I really want to be emotionally healthy and stable. Yeah. I really want to be uh, psychologically okay. And I really want to be physically fit. And, and not, you know, to have six pack abs and not to um, do a photo shoot, but because I know that I just want to be the best version of me, you know, and I, yeah. I don't, I, I obviously don't always get there, but I, at least I know if I'm trying, it, it can kind of rest a little bit easier. Yeah, I know the, me- the mental thing is so huge. And I know I, I, I'm starting to realize that more. Um, it was always for me and I would go through these peaks and valleys of like, boom, I'm on it. I'm doing real good for three months or whatever. I'm just hitting, you know, hitting, uh, hitting the gym, like my diet's good. Um, and then like, boom, fall off real quick. And, and I, the more I realized like how much about it is mental. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when I kind of frame it up like that, it makes it that much easier for me to get my butt out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? And get to, get to the gym or get on a run or even a walk. Man, I walk a lot. Like I walk my dog and that I do actually a lot of my prayer and meditation time um, when I'm walking, 
Yeah. Instead of just sitting there. And that's a really good point for me to, to kick back and just kind of drop in and, and get on that, that wavelength. Um, I hear from a lot of people, I don't have time. I'm so busy. I'm this and that. I have this and that. Dude, you have like, I don't know how many projects you're working on. I'm, I'm sure it's a ton. How do you like find time? Like what's a tip for someone out there listening? It's like, I don't have time for that. Like how do you kind of make things um, happen? Well, the reality is it's like you do have time because I'm, I'm a busy guy, but I'm nowhere near as busy as Dr. Drew. And yeah. Dr. Drew works out every damn day. And in the matter of it, if you replace, I don't have time with, it just doesn't mean that much. It uh, doesn't matter that much to me. Yeah. <laughs> you'll really change your perspective because that's the reality of it. It's like, yeah. if, if it mattered a lot to you, you'd make the time mm-hmm. and being the best version of myself, you know, and, and it's certainly that the desire to be the best version of myself has kicked up a notch since I became a father. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, and, and so be, for me, it just matters a whole lot. And so I find the time and it, sometimes that means waking up super early. I mean that yeah. sometimes I have to hit the gym at five thirty in the morning and so be it. You know, I, I, I definitely, I definitely feel better about myself and I feel like I think more clearly. Um, and it's, um, energy begets energy and, 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 and good decisions beget good decisions. If you, if you really, the more you start, um, voluntarily exposing yourself to discomfort for the sake of becoming better, um, the more you find yourself doing it in all the aspects of your life. Yeah, dude, congratulations on uh, becoming a dad too. It's pretty, Thank it's, it's, dude, it's so cool. Like, uh, like my kids changed my life. I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old and uh, yeah, I know it's crazy at my Bless house you. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my daughter's like really sweet and like, you know, she's kind of got that good attitude like her mom. She doesn't take any crap and like my son like looks at his butthole in the mirror. Like that's yeah. like the, the reality of it, you know, <laughs> just like the boy and the girl. So yep. it's pretty funny, man. Um, but uh, well, those people who are out there who like to push the notion that there's no difference between um, men and women, they clearly have not had children. No, exactly. Because you recognize very early that little boys are a whole lot different than little girls. Totally, man. He's like so, he's so, he's so easy and I, I love her so much, but she is complicated. Yes, as women are. You know? Yeah, exactly. We, we are simple, dumb animals, us men. Pretty we, much. You know, we're a lot less curious. We're a lot yeah. less intellectually curious than women are and. I know my daughter's four years old and she is already has such a, a much more complex um, makeup than I do. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, they keep us on our toes though, for sure. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, and, and the other thing w- with the kids is like, you know, I came from a pretty jacked up home life growing up. And like, one thing I'm so proud of is that like, I'm like, I broke that cycle. You know what I mean? Like I broke, like, like my kids will never see that you know, um, that cycle of addiction and, and alcohol and, uh, all that, all that crap, you know, that I was exposed to growing up. Um, and that's, I mean, if that's a big win in itself, you know, that sure. like, and I'm sure like for your daughter, like she, she probably looks up to you, like you're Superman, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're healthy, you know, so you want to stay fit, I guess is what I'm getting at. And it's such a big part of just overall health and, and wellness, but let alone, um, p- for people in recovery. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I don't, I know it's not for everybody. I really, I know it's not for everybody, but I felt like martial arts has even taken that 
to the next level for yeah. me is where, where health and fitness took me to, to point a, um, point B was discovering martial arts because there, it was, um, it forced me to be a lot more, um, introspective, you know, yeah. it, it, it through physical movement. There was the challenge of an opponent, which, um, brought on so much more because even though there was another man standing uh, in front of me, uh, it was really about the, the personal challenge of how much, how far I could push myself. Yeah. Um, and, and also understanding discipline and, and, and that ever important, uh, notion of, of humility, um, in, in recovery, you know, you get reminded very quickly, um, on the maps that, you know, you gotta be humble. Um, and that you're not Superman, you know, as yeah. much as my daughter makes me feel like Superman, I get out there and get my ass handed to me. And I, yeah, find it very quickly. You're not, well, you got to deal with, with that. And I'm not in martial arts or anything, but, um, of course I've listened to a lot of guys, you know, talk about it. Um, the injury aspect of that, especially at our age, like, you know, late thirties, early forties is, um, it's gotta be, you know, you're constantly dealing with that, a nagging, a nagging uh, shoulder or a, a joint on your knee or something like that. I mean, that our bodies aren't the same as they were back when we were, you know, in our 20s or whatever. No, and I have no argument <laughs> to the contrary. I'm always hurt. <laughs> yeah, you just deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I, so I, have, I have a favor to ask you, actually. So one of my, one of my uh, favorite parts of Swole Patrol this is the intro, bro. And I'm asking for your permission to do my best acapella Swole Patrol sober guy intro. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can pull it off. I mean, I think I, you know, I'd be willing to, 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 to do it. I just don't know how, how high quality it would be, you know, given without that. I, a lot of it is like I have to have the music because then I, I've told Dr. Drew a lot of times, he'd be like, how much thought did you put into that? I go, zero. <laughs> yeah, the music goes yeah. and I'm like, Oh crap. And I just start kind of flowing. Um, so I, I think without the music, I'd be, I'd be remiss in my duties and I wouldn't be able to put together. How about, life. how about, can, can I do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, I bequeath to you. Okay. That's what, okay. Perfect. The ability with, with zero, uh, anger or bitterness, you can't start <laughs> doing all the musical intros to your, to the sober guy. Uh, podcast that you want to do and I I, I I with open arms say you sir you all right I, I appreciate that I just want to do one at least right now though please, okay? please okay here we go all right here we go my be my best attempt at it it's that sober guy podcast and we're talking to Mike Catherwood and we're in a garage somewhere talking about drugs and recovery and alcohol. We're not going to make any dick jokes or talk about penises and I'm not sure if that's good, but Mike can tell me if that is okay. Yeah, man, that's hard without the music. Shit. All right. All right. I appreciate really good. it. Honestly, because it's way hard without the music and you nailed it. Oh, man. Yeah. When I first heard that, bro, I was like... I was in tears. I think. I think the first one I heard was with Chris Bell. I go, man, that's such a, that's so genius right there. Just nice and fun and easy, man. I love it. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that we're not going to talk about dicks and penises. I know, I know, I know. It's kind of hard to weave that in in the in the matter of recovery talk. But I mean, yeah, yeah you never know. You never know what comes up. Um, so one more lighter note for us too. You ate a tablespoon of cinnamon at one point that I yeah. saw. How did? How was that possible? Like, how did you do that? <sighs> 
I don't know. I, like, I saw so many people fail at that quote unquote challenge, a cinnamon challenge. Yeah. I don't know why it was just, it wasn't that hard. I mean, you gotta, it definitely takes patience. You can't just try and swallow it immediately because you will gag. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, I just mixed a lot of saliva with it, made it turned it into ni- a nice congeal. Yeah, because I, I saw you like, like really, mo- you know, moving it around and trying to like, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so for those who are listening who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a, a video uh, from Kevin and Bean show. And Mike was, people had failed before. You were, I don't know how many people had tried it, but there was many. And you finally actually swallowed uh, a, a tablespoon of cinnamon and made it happen. And then- Yeah, because I, I guess it's supposedly really hard. I, I mean, a lot of people do this quote unquote challenge and it, they fail, but I don't know. I, 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 I guess that's one of my incredibly- useless talents is that i can swallow cinnamon <laughs> so, something to be proud of yeah <laughs> you can share that with your daughter i'm sure she'll yeah, yep. um i have a couple questions here we want to can we answer a couple questions real quick absolutely cool so uh this one comes from jojo it says uh it's been 11 weeks sobriety for me uh can you give me some wise words to help me in my journey as when i look to when i look too far ahead i get a bit panicky thanks very yeah. much well, dude, I mean, that, that's every one of us. Yeah. And that's the, the main reason that we always say one day at a time. Hmm. Because the idea of a lifetime without drugs and alcohol to the addict is, seems insurmountable. But you can do one day. Yeah. You can do it. Just make it till you go to fall asleep tonight. That's all you got to look for. Yeah. Um, it, it's, a, it's really, really important that you just keep things in perspective and that it's one day at a time, one step in front of the other. Um, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother is a disabled athlete. He, um, he's one of the only men to complete, uh, Ironman with, uh, he actually literally has no legs oh, from wow. the, from the, uh, waist down. And so he com- mm-hmm. one of the only people to complete, uh, Ironman in with a hand cycle. Um, and so he, and I, I would ask him, I mean, like, you know, when you're 15 miles into a hundred and something mile race, how do you keep going? And he's like, no, you don't think about it that way. You think about it as I'm just one more, one more step. Obviously not in his case, one more step, but it's just one more stride, one more, one more push here. And then I, yeah, it adds up. It adds up because if you start thinking about the finish line four and a half hours away, <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overwhelm you. You know, you have to think about it as the moment comes. And, and I think, you know, recovery is very much the same way. I used to be, I used to be wildly intimidated yeah. of the idea of a lifetime without drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you just, you learn quickly. It's just, it's got to be one day at a time. Have you, uh, have you interviewed or read of any, I'm sure you've probably heard him on podcasts, but David Goggins. Work. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I've never man. met him, man, but I'm super familiar with him and, and such yeah. a big fan. Yeah. You just reminded me of that when you're talking about that. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the audio book right now. I think I'm about halfway through it. Uh, can't hurt me. And that, you know, that that's kind of what he talks about is breaking things down incrementally. And because right. it's such a mind challenge, our bodies are, are so much more capable of what we think. But if you can get focused in that, and he calls it callousing the mind, mm-hmm. and it's a trip, you know, how, how he kind of breaks it down and, and is able to do some, he holds the world record for pull-ups like 4,000 and something. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous it, amount. It is. It's, un, it's unreal. Uh, but yeah, you know, the future tripping thing, that's, that's what a, a buddy of mine, Seth, you know, he goes, man, stop future tripping. And that's, that's kind of what it is, you know, and I, I love that, like just taking it one day at a time, one moment at a time, trying to do the next right thing. 
uh, I know that's been that's been big for me too. Um, one of the other questions we had too is, uh, and, and feel free to answer this or not answer this. It's up to you, man. What's the worst thing you ever did while you were intoxicated that you can remember? <laughs> uh, I ate a Band-Aid on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> My and, and by the way, for, gross. not even for money. <laughs> for free? On Hollywood Boulevard and there was a Band-Aid on the ground and we, I don't know how the conversation, <laughs> I mean, this, these were hazy times. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the, the, the conversation got around to how gross it would be if someone ate that because it was a random bandaid on one of the most decrepit, just ill filled areas in the world. The Hollywood Boulevard is just uh, for those. Uh, I, I don't yeah. want to pass judgment on people around that neighborhood, but it's filled with drug use, prostitution, homelessness. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's an unsavory part of town. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I did it. I popped it in my mouth and I swallowed it. And uh, luckily I'm disease free, but that was yeah. easily the dumbest, grossest thing I did. That's a pretty good dare too. Like you're just walking by and you're like, Hey, I dare you to eat that. You're like, okay, <laughs> that's good, man. Oh man. Well, dude, I, I appreciate again, getting back to the difference. Oh yeah. Go men ahead. And women. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Saying, yeah. Again, getting back to the difference between men and women. Yeah, totally. There's no group of girls that are like, hey, would you eat that pen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just complete morons sometimes, man. Just like a steak. Um, I want uh, some loving from my, from my wife and uh, maybe some good sleep. And I'm pretty much happy for the Very my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you, man. I want to take too much of your time today. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I admire the show, man. We'll put all the show lo uh, show. Um, uh, links in the show notes here. Um, and, uh, if, if, uh, if we left, if we left with this, uh, to anyone out there struggling, you, you've already given us some, some good tips, some good advice, and I appreciate you sharing a bit of your, your story too. Uh, but what would you say someone out there right now who's struggling, um, who just doesn't know, you know, where to turn to, what to do, uh, what advice would you give them? Like that you're worth it. I know what it's like to be a zero. I know what it's like to feel like there's absolutely no point to being on earth. Um, and, and I had no, absolutely zero light at the end of my tunnel. And I know what that feels like. And I can sympathize and I can empathize with you if you're out there and you just feel like there's no point in going further and that you're not worth it. But the reality is, is that you are, no matter who you are listening to this, you are definitely worth it and that you can, without a doubt you can piece your life together and make make a happy and fulfilling life yeah that's good man mike catherwood everybody thank you so much mike for uh, coming on that sober guy podcast man i appreciate it it really was my pleasure dude. check us out at that sober you can connect with us on instagram at real that sober guy ashane raymer on twitter peace love and respect i love you guys thanks so much for the support and uh, keep your blood clean